you know, I'm just going to put this out there. If there really was a killer video game that if you played it and you die in the game, like you die in real life, if that was a thing, then a lot of us would be fucking murked. Because I don't care how good at video games you are, even everybody who plays like serious first-person shooters like Call of Duty and Battlefield and all that knows that on average, you're probably going to die like at least once every like couple of minutes or so. So uh, the idea that you can die from playing a video game, not going to cut it. So uh, yeah, if that ever happens, you ever come across a cursed video game like we're talking tonight with Stay Alive, stay the hell away from that. I guarantee if I'm not good enough to keep my ass alive in it, neither are you. We've got Stay Alive and Firestarter tonight in T Watches a Scary Movie. Hello, 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 and welcome to another brand new episode. I, of course, am T, and we are talking some scary movies. I appreciate everybody tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night on all your favorite podcast platforms at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So, if you just want the audio version, go to your favorite podcast platform, search T, watch a scary movie. You can find us. They go up at 8 p.m. Then... If you want the video version, like if you're watching my handsome face here right now. That's my model looks for you. Uh, if you uh, if you want to watch the video version, make sure you go to the YouTube page. That link is right over here. Or you can go to youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Again, that's youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Follow me on YouTube, it'll alert you whenever the new episodes are going up every Wednesday, along with any other uh, uh, new videos. New videos that I decided to put up. I'm trying to get more in the habit of doing like my quick to do that. So hopefully uh, later this summer I can get more and more of those out there for you. But also, take a look at our other channels as well, too. You can find me on Twitter, just search AXDEW, that's AXDEW. You can follow me. I talk about horror movies and wrestling and shit like that all the time on my Twitter. It's a great time there. Not to mention, I'm a part of Jed Shepard's horror community. Jed Shepard, who is one of the co-writers of the Masterpiece uh, host that was uh, presented to Shudder just a couple of years ago, the Zoom horror movie, uh, started this horror community up, and it's just been a great time talking with other horror fans about movies we love, we don't love, things coming up, all that great stuff. Get on Twitter, find it, find me, I'll get you into it. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, admittedly, I've not been so great on my Instagram the last few weeks. We'll get back to that, though. But that's Theron underscore Reynolds. You can find me there. And, of course, follow our Facebook group, which is Facebook.com slash groups slash T Scary Movie. Again, Facebook.com slash group slash T Scary Movie. Uh, that's our Facebook group to where we have great conversations in there. A lot of times I'll keep people up to date what I'm watching at the time as well, too. And not only that. We got some important posts in there as well. Uh, number one, we're keeping track of the movies that we're going to watch for our all-nighter coming up in July. Yes, that's right. If you have not been paying attention, we have another all-nighter coming up here July 26th, if I'm correct, which is exactly one year to the date of us doing our original one last July. And if you've never heard of an all-nighter, 
Well, uh, what we do, at least in T-Watch Scary Movie, is we get everybody in the Discord, we go to pizza, make sure we got our junk, food, our junk food, our energy drinks, our sugar, all that good stuff, even alcohol, and we watch a bunch of scary movies in the Discord. Last year, we got through a hell of a bunch of them. We had such a good time. Uh, yours truly tapped out at the very last movie. I made it to like 5 or 5.30 in the morning that I was fucking done at that point. Um, and we did a second one in September for uh, our good friend Natalie. It was her birthday. So we watched all of the Child's Play and Chucky movies, including the remake. And I managed to stay up for pretty much everything except for the remake at that point. Uh, that was a good time as well, too. So we're going to see if this year I can make all of them. Uh, we usually get started around like 6, uh, 6 p.m. or so. And we go to whenever the last movie finishes, which is usually around like 7.30 in the morning or so. Uh, so find that post in the Facebook group. You can find out what's leading the way right now. I believe it's still scary stories to uh, tell in the dark is going to be added to our lineup right now we're looking at x we're looking at the black phone we got a few other ones in there uh so it's gonna be a really good time and it's funny because one of the movies that's going into that watch party at least right now is ghostbusters afterlife and it was reported yesterday uh sony has officially announced that they are making a follow-up to ghostbusters afterlife that's right y'all now, if you didn't catch Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, we're still within the 10-year rule, so I'm going to try not to spoil it too much. You can catch my review in it. Um, it was an episode last year. But I talked about how I really did enjoy Ghostbusters Afterlife. It was a great direct sequel to Ghostbusters 2. Um, if you haven't seen it, this movie ignores the events of Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Uh, otherwise, uh, the, the female-led Ghostbusters with Melissa McCarthy and uh, Kirsten Wiig, um, it ignores that. As of right now, we don't know what will happen in the sequel here. But direct follow-up talking about the uh, the daughter and then grandchildren of Egon Spangler and them having to deal again with a uh, old foe that they've dealt with before. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about it. It was a really, really good movie. Not so much in the scary department, and that's okay. Because I would think anybody who's my age now, I'm 34 as I'm recording this, uh, who grew up on Ghostbusters, you know, there's bits and pieces over the first two movies that definitely probably scared us, but as a whole, the movie is not that scary of a movie. Not really supposed to be, and Ghostbusters Afterlife wasn't that either. This movie was very much more a drama, uh, which makes sense because Jason Reitman's the one that did it, son of Ivan Reitman, who, of course, did the original Ghostbusters, but Jason Reitman's known for, like, these great dramas that he's done, and Ghostbusters Afterlife told a really good story, in my opinion, about uh, loss and coping and not having family in your life and things like that. And I thought it was a great, great story. So I wasn't necessarily expecting a follow-up to it. Um, I expected we'd probably get a sequel at some point, but I had no ideas for it. Um, the sequel could go a couple of routes. I think one of the biggest issues is that uh, McKenna Grace, is that her name? Yeah, McKenna Grace, who, uh, who was our lead of Ghostbusters Afterlife, She's obviously not the age she was when she first, uh, when she like uh, shot the first movie. She's years older at this point there. And while she could still play younger, I'm questioning whether or not they're going to look to go with like an immediate follow-up, which would probably still allow them to use the old Ghostbusters if they wanted to, who aren't really needed that much. Like I think Dan Aykroyd and uh, like Ernie Hudson are needed. I don't know if we need Bill Murray back again on, I'm going to be real about that. Like, Bill Murray doesn't really add anything to it, in my opinion, if Sigourney Weaver's not there. And I do want Sigourney Weaver back, because that was cool as shit. See, the, uh, spoiler, 
post credit scenes. Gorney Weaver and Bill Murray were doing a scene together in Ghostbusters Afterlife. Either way, I digress. Um, I'd love to see Sigourney Weaver back. And if she came back with maybe Oscar, then cool. Bring Bill Murray back. That's fine at that point. But if we're not getting Sigourney Weaver, I'm good without Bill Murray. Dan Aykroyd, uh, if the idea is to follow up with the kids uh, with a podcast and McKenna Grace's character, uh, I can't, is it Madison? Madison was her character. I can't remember her character's name and I hate it. Podcast stands out just because it's a standout name. But if we are following up right with these kids again, then it makes sense in my opinion that Dan Aykroyd is there as like in the advisor role, kind of helping them learn a lot about ghosts and like the science of being a ghostbuster and things like that. And it also makes sense that Ernie Hudson could be there to kind of bankroll everything that they're, they're going to do. Because one thing that we did learn, and it's not a spoiler from this, is that uh, Winston Zedmore did really well for himself after Ghostbusters went under. And so he has a lot of money. And so it would make a lot of sense that maybe he's going to fund this new Ghostbusters operation. So we don't know. Uh, we have no idea what's coming out about that yet. It's still in the very, very, very early stages. I would honestly be shocked if we saw this movie prior to 2024. Um, I honestly think we're probably looking at Halloween 2024. I think that's probably probably the right guess because like unless they're going to start filming like this summer or this fall and that's even cutting it close, I can't see a 2023 release. But who knows? Who knows? Crazier things have happened, folks. Uh, Scream, we're getting a sequel out. Uh, literally a year after the original film. So clearly we can get it done. Clearly we can get it done. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but it's time to talk some movies, y'all. So uh, if you have been noticing, I've been trying to go back and forth and I've been trying to swap around the way I've been doing movies because it's kind of been a free-for-all up until the last few weeks of the way that I reviewed them. And even if you go back and watch the first set of episodes I did, very, very different the way I'm doing it right now. Uh, and I decided that this year, as you've seen the 365 Days of Horror book I have, this year was going to be all about new horror. I had to watch more. It couldn't just be theatrical. Got to hit indie movies, direct video, you know, all that stuff. I got to see more because there's so many gems out there that I've been missing over the last like decade, a decade or two that because I typically watch so much more mainstream than anything else, I'm missing out on that. And I can't do it. So what you're going to start to see on this show, at least until the end of August right now, is that every week we're going to change back and forth. One week we're going to have older movies, classics. Uh, and by classics, I mean anything prior to 2022. Okay, Anything prior to 2022, even 2021. But we're going to do one week where we're looking at classics and one week where we're looking at new shit. Okay? And that's the way we're going to go. Uh, last week we did X and Uma. So this week... We are going into some classics. We are talking Stay Alive, the 2006 video game horror hit. And we're also going to be talking the classic Stephen King film, Firestarter, starring Drew Barrymore. So that's what we got this week. Next week, we're going to be back with some new uh, new releases there. We have Master and Vicious Fun. So I'm excited to talk about all of those with you. But let's get right into it. We're going to start here with, excuse me, with Stay Alive. Now, if you haven't seen Stay Alive before, Stay Alive came at the right time back in, as I mentioned before, the mid-2000s, uh, 2006 to be precise. And this is the time where we were getting, like The Ring, you know, you watch a VHS, it's cursed, you watch it, you die. <clears throat> um, we had gotten like Fear.com, which I have not watched Fear.com in like over a decade at this point, I, uh, no, no offense to any of the filmmakers or cast or crew involved. I remember I really enjoyed that movie. Like when I first saw it, like the very first time I saw it in theaters, cause I did see fear.com in theaters. And then 
I saw it again. I was like, what the fuck was I thinking? This movie is, oh, oh my God. No, 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 no. But there was this craze in the 2000s of movies of you do this or you watch this or you play this and you're going to die. And video games were still something to where we didn't have a lot of that yet. There wasn't a lot of movies that were based on, um, uh, uh, that were based on video games, uh, that, that could kill you. Like I know there was a Hellraiser movie, uh, Hellraiser, Hellworld, Hellworld that came out, um, around the same time, maybe like a couple of years, uh, sooner or, or a couple of years sooner than that. Same thing, you know, like Pinhead and the Cinnabites are in like this, this Hellraiser game that was created. If you die in there, you die in real life. Uh, and then of course there's like a bunch of video game adaptations that are out there as well too, especially in horror. You know, we had Silent Hill, which uh, before Sonic and Sonic 2 came out, I thought Silent Hill was the best video game adaptation of all time. We had even recently like Werewolves Within, we have the Resident Evil movies and so on. So there's a lot of horror, like horror game, uh, horror movies out there that are based around like a video game. But Stay Alive was kind of different because this was kind of like the biggest like mainstream attempt, at least at that time of all right, cool. Like we're going to take like this growing craze of gaming because that really was it. I know it's weird to say gaming became big in the mid 2000s. It was already big, but think about it. 2000, like early to mid 2000s is when we started getting online gaming and that started being a big thing. Multiplayer with multiple people started being a much bigger thing at that as well too. So the timing of it was absolutely perfect. And the story of Stay Alive told the story of Hutch played by John Foster, uh, who recently had a friend of his pass, uh, who passed away after playing this video game, Stay Alive. And when uh, trying to remember his friend and honor him and everything, he gets some of his friend's old personal effects, including a copy of this game, Stay Alive, and tells all his friends about it who decide that in honor to his fallen friend, Loomis, played by um, uh, Mi uh, Milo Ventimiglia, by the way, who we talked about in Cursed before, uh, that they're gonna honor uh, Hutch's friend, Loomis, by playing this game stay alive and so they all get together they all play the game and one of this group abigail played by samir armstrong who you might know from entourage uh like figures out and realizes that the group is supposed to say a seance before the game starts and that's how we find out that all this evil kind of begins is that anybody that plays the game they're required to say the seance out loud and that pretty much like bonds them to the game to where you're either gonna die or you're gonna beat the boss and that's it now I will say, run off the gate here, because y'all know me, and I don't say, I, I'm trying to get away from saying good and bad and things like that there. But what I will say is that this movie is, in my opinion, the movie that was that was actually made for like casual gamers. And that's a good thing. Like if you play even a few video games, you're not really into it, but just a few, this game should actually make a lot, or this, excuse me, this movie will actually make a lot of sense to you. Like you look at the cast that's in it as well too. John Foster, Samir Armstrong, Sophia Bush, Jimmy Simpson, even Frankie Muniz. Uh, these are all guy, uh, like guys and gals at that time that were still on the rise in Hollywood. Some of them were on their way out at that time as well too. But in 2006, that's the perfect cast right there. It's a good looking cast. You know, everybody's attracted to everybody in that movie. Um, so this really seems like it was meant to like appeal to like casual gamers, like more of the CWWB crowd and everything as well too. And uh, with that, like, because the game is featured, is featured a lot in it, but it's not featured in the same way, something like, let's say Ready Player One, to where 
I actually consider Ready Player One to be an animated film because ha at least half of that movie is set in the Oasis. It's set in the animated version. And in Stay Alive, I kind of feel that that's one of the things that slipped by the wayside was that I get it. It's 2006. This game is not going to look spectacular. And it doesn't by uh, 2022. The game that they play just doesn't look great. I would still play the shit out of it because you're talking to a guy that still enjoys playing Left 4 Dead. But maybe that would be the reason why they didn't feature so much of the gameplay in the movie itself. But it was really interesting to watch. The idea that a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of characters are getting together. They're investigating this crip in Louisiana. They're trying to find the history and the secret behind this house, basically, and what's haunting the house. And we start to find out more and more that the creator of this game uh, went to the dark, uh, went a dark path to try to basically make it successful. And we find out that this story involves a uh, old school horror legend that you might have heard of before, Elizabeth Bathory, who has been featured in a few other horror movies as well, too. Matter of fact, Elizabeth Bathory was also featured in a horror movie that came out around the same time that y'all might remember called Hostel 2. Hostel 2 came out a year after Stay Alive did. And uh, I do remember that one of the more high profile kills in that was that they had this character who was supposed to be like Elizabeth Bathory, like cutting open young women and bathing in their blood, keep young. And that was a big thing about it. And she's kind of the bad guy of Stay Alive as well, too. So I thought, uh, I thought that was a good touch because rather than invent some demon, invent some monster or anything that they could have done and maybe we would have been disappointed at the design, they took a figure that we all knew uh, I say all, oh, I'm sorry. They took a figure that some of us are probably aware of and some of us are probably actually fearful of and they managed to make this character scary and they managed to make this character like the bad guy of a video game. And I think that's awesome because I don't think you would ever think about putting those two, two together. And what else Stay Alive really excels at is that it doesn't really skimp in the gore to the point to where there's an unrated version of this film as well. But characters get their faces ripped off, characters get their throats slit, uh, you get characters get trampled. Like, this is a very bloody and brutal movie. It's not gory. It's not really that gory in the sense. Um, to compare it to something like Hostel 2, which came out a year later, Hostel 2 is like a 10. Stay Alive is like a strong 5, like a, like a 6, I'd say, which sounds bad. Like, I'm saying people are getting their faces and shit ripped off and i'm saying it's a five or a six but i just mean that like it's cool but i don't think anything in stay alive is going to gross anybody out which for me that works great because you know these days like shit just grosses me out for whatever weird reason but i enjoyed the kills in stay alive i really did because especially they get more and more emotional as we go on because we start bonding with these characters and sometimes in horror movies one of the issues that we have with characters getting killed is that we don't get enough time with them we don't connect to them enough so when they die it's like whatever fuck it we don't care and in this, I feel that the entire cast is so likable that when they do start to get dispatched, we do feel really bad about that. And the backstory of our lead character, uh, you know, he was involved in an incident when he was younger that left him with some trauma, and that still shapes like his adult life. At the beginning of this film, he's already lost his best friend as well. Uh, he's lost, he's starting to lose more and more people. So... For what's just meant to be like this popcorn, run-of-the-mill, like, horror flick, there's a lot of heart in it, I thought, as well, too. Um, beyond that, like, there's really not that much deep going in here, honestly. Um, I, I think the premise is simple enough to where I don't see how people can watch this movie and not have a good time with it. The movie's not long enough to be offensive or bad, in my opinion, honestly. And even with that, is it scary? There are some jump scares in it that work really well. And 
I will say that some of the scares are tied to nostalgia because I was I, I was these characters, okay? I am I spent my teenage years and my twenties get all my friends together and playing a bunch of horror video games all together in a room. So this really does stand out to me and the nostalgia when I first saw it helped to feed into a lot of those scares as well too. And these days I just watch it because it really just reminds me of a better time in my life, honestly. But there's a lot to really enjoy with it. Jimmy Simpson is hilarious in it. Um, one of Frankie Muniz's last on-screen roles, which Frankie Muniz has always been good in everything he's done. Uh, Sophia Bush, who's fantastic on uh, Chicago PD. Yeah, Chicago PD. Uh, and a lot of other things. I don't think she's on Chicago PD anymore, but she's she's great in everything, including One Tree Hill. Um, gets to play like a goth role in this, which is so great. She's so good in that. Uh, just, it, it's a really well, well done job by the entire cast. I think the biggest downside that we probably have for this is that even though the villain has some name recognition in there, uh, we don't really get anything with that. We don't get anything from, from the villain at all. There is no, there, there's no big standoff. There's no monologue. There's no really motivation or anything like that. Like we're definitely explaining that this is all the result of a curse, that that's the reason why this shit is happening is that the game maker fucked around with something that he shouldn't have. And he basically screwed everybody over with it. And I like that. But the flip of that is, is that we just don't get anything from our bad guy at all we, we get no motivation nothing to really sell it and that is a detraction from the movie also a detraction that we don't get more scenes in the game i'm so sorry but it's so cool it's so fun to watch them play they have the one scene and there's only one there's multiple times when other characters are playing but they have the one scene uh kind of at the beginning of the film where they're all together playing it for the first time and again I, i've already said it but if you've ever been a gamer in your 20s in your like in your teenage years in the last like 15 or 20 years or so and got to really enjoy like the start of that online move it for consoles and more pc gaming because i know pcs had online gaming forever but like the movement really took up in like early early to mid 2000s if you're one of those people there are some scenes in here that are just gonna make you smile and including a scene at a, uh, it's absolutely a GameStop or an EB Games as well too, which takes me back because I worked at a GameStop for uh, a year. Yeah, I did a year at a GameStop as well too. It's like, man, all this shit would get stolen. Like you can't have controllers out there on racks and shit. You can't do that. It's going to go out the door. Uh, but I did like the fact, and of course we never got it. The film didn't make enough. Um, but the end of this film directly sets up for a sequel and it kind of sells the idea that uh, like a video game, the goal here might be to defeat the bad guy, but here's the thing about a video game. It restarts when you turn it back on or reset the game at that point, okay? Sure, you beat the bad guy, turn the game off, that's it, they're gone, they're dead, they're out of your hair at that point. But the moment that you turn that system back on and put that game back in, we start from scratch. And uh, we're over the 10-year rule, so I could spoil that there. That is the one of the best parts I thought about Stay Alive is that it makes it very clear these characters have gone through so much. They've had so much loss already at this point. They finally stop everything, and then they don't know it, but we find out as viewers that it's not really over. There's still more to be done. Uh, I would love to see a follow-up to Stay Alive. Honestly, I think there is still meat on that bone, especially in the gaming that we're in these days. Uh, I think that'd be very, very easy, very easy 
to make a sequel to Stay Alive and kind of craft it around like our four versus one uh, asymmetrical games they have these days like Dead by Daylight, like Back for Blood, like Left for Dead, like the upcoming Evil Dead, the game. Uh, I like Friday the 13th. I think that a sequel based on something like that could work so well. Um, do I think it's in the realm of possibility that we'll get it? Absolutely not. But William Brent Bell, uh, Matthew Peterman, if you can hear me, and even Mick G, if you can hear me, who produced it as well, too. Do it. It's worth it. It's the right time for it as well, too. And especially this, let's say this. Direct the video is so good for horror right now. It is so, so good. We don't need an elaborate budget for this at all. Go and find a game developer who could make all this stuff for you all on the cheap, cheap, cheap. Maybe Gun would be a good idea because, you know, they're making a lot of these games right now anyway. Uh, but, man, make a sequel to this. I would absolutely love that. But that's Stay Alive, folks. Downside of this is that this film is hard to come by. You really do have to go out and pick the DVD up. Uh, it's not available on Blu-ray. And the unrated version is not available on streaming. The unrated version's worth it, y'all. For the few extra minutes that's in there, Angelina Jolie's brother's in it <laughs> as, the, as the developer of the game. Uh, you you want to pick up the DVD. Grab the DVD, y'all. So, with that, our second film tonight that we're going to be talking is the 1984 classic based on the Stephen King novel, Firestarter. Now... This was a first time watch for me because it's one I've already gone uh, like always go uh, went past because I don't know if I've explained it on the show. I've definitely explained it in the Facebook group. I have a love hate relationship with Stephen King adaptations. I think Stephen King is a fantastic author. I really do, but I don't like reading every single one of his novels. There are only certain novels of his, certain stories of his that I have a genuine interest in. Like to even go as so far, and I'm going to catch shit for this here. I was not a fan, uh, like I had not a fan, that's the wrong word to say. I didn't have interest in things like the Dark Tower until literally the Matthew McConaughey Idris Elba movie came out a few years back. And you're talking to one of the only guys that enjoyed that movie because people fucking hate that movie. I actually liked it. Uh, so I have a love and hate relationship with a lot of Stephen King films. Hate The Shining, but I love Monster uh, uh, Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> I uh, 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 I hate Carrie, but you know what I do love? I love the Rage Carrie too. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I love the Langoliers, but I hate, hate Christine. Like, again, my mind is all over the place with Stephen King, but this one I purposely never really watched because it didn't seem like a horror movie to me. Uh, like, as a snobby child, like, I want monsters. I want, you know, mass killers. I want, like, things like that in my movie. And especially when I had seen The Stand, and you got freaking Randall Flagg in there, or Salem's Lot, and you got Barlow and everything. Like, come on. Like, you're going to give me a little kid who's a pyrokinetic, and that's supposed to get me? Come on. Well, joke's on me. Firestarter's a good movie. So, the story here is a simple one. Uh, Andy and Charlene, is it, Char is it Char Charlie? Andrew and Charlie, played by uh, David Keith and Drew Barrymore, are on the run from this government agency known as The Shop. Now, uh, Andy was given these uh, experimental drugs along with his wife, Vicky, uh, back in, uh, like back 
and college to where it gave them all these powers and he became uh, uh telekinetic basically kind of like professor x uh vicky vicky had the ability to read minds as well too and vicky was killed by the shop and andy went on the run with their kid charlie charlie who has the ability to start fires and control fires and that's the story here is andy and charlie on the run from the shop trying to evade them and the shop eventually capturing them and trying to turn them into weapons for their own purpose that is the story does not get deeper than that you want deeper read the book better story at that point so what can i say about this film uh to, to, to interest y'all about it what i will say is that like most of drew barrymore's young uh, filmography it's good it's good okay drew barrymore did not make a lot of bad movies as a kid she really didn't she had a really good choice of movies and this is another one i think where our flip of it though is that there really isn't much in the horror aspect of this okay and that's why i really want to caution everybody is that if you are looking for your traditional kind of scary stephen king story this is not the one at least the way it's presented in this movie i think a lot of that might have to do with the fact that it is set mostly during the day which is not the only stephen king adaptation to do that there are a lot of stephen king adaptations that are set during the day that still manage to be scary but i don't know if this is one of them honestly it also doesn't help that our monster in this case is incredibly sympathetic and i know that sounds like a bad sentence to say but it kind of is i mean the fact that charlie and andy are so incredibly sympathetic here um i don't ever get the feeling that we're worried about charlie like destroying the world and i know that that's the idea i'm pretty sure that was the the point of stephen king's story is that we have to be afraid of charlie because if charlie can't control her emotions and she can't control her powers then she's gonna freaking destroy everybody and everything and we're all fucked at that point i didn't get that from here matter of fact i even said it on my twitter when i was watching it what kind of pissed me off about it not pissed me off i, th I thought it was funny but uh one of the lead doctors as they start experimenting on andy and uh charlie at the shop one of the lead doctors or the lead doctor basically tells everybody he's like yeah so we can't let her get back to her father because if she gets back to her father he will tell her to kill us all like literally kill all of us and that can't happen and the thing is, is that that's not scary because y'all are the bad guys. So if she kills all of you, she is justified based on what y'all have been doing to her and her father and her mother in this movie. We're not scared of her. And that's a big problem with it is that, sure, we all empathize with Charlie and Andy. We absolutely do. But at no point do I feel we were ever actually scared. Drew Barrymore plays Charlie as so sweet and so innocent. And the fact that she's so remorseful and so regretful at any time that she uses her powers up until the end of the film, it just doesn't work out like that. And so we're left. The only thing we can really be afraid of, the only thing we can really be scared of here is, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, George C. Scott, who you might remember from The Exorcist Three. Oh, so fucking good. Um, George C. Scott plays John Rainbird, who is kind of like our main adversary in this movie. He's the one that's hunting down Andy and Charlie um, and who basically threatens to kill both of them. <laughs> like he's going to like freaking chop Charlie across the bridge of her nose and send like bone fragments up into her brain. He literally says it like that's legitimately a fucking line that he drops out there. Uh, like John is terrifying when he's being real about who he is. But that's about it. 
And even then, in a horror movie, and I'm I, like, I don't want to take points away from it, but how scared are we from like an assassin with a gun? Like, do are we that afraid of an assassin with a gun? Like, if he didn't have the gun and he was just using like his body and shit like that, sure. But just a gun, like, I don't know if we as the audience are that fearful of it. And at the time, sure, I'd love to know if anybody was actually like terrified of this movie because it is good. It's actually a good movie. It's just not scary at all, not in the least bit. And there is a lot of deaths. Uh, Charlie makes good on what that doctor said and kills every single person at that shop after uh, after everything is said and done. And she does it in spectacular, fiery fashion. Um, and I like the effects throughout the movie, showing how Charlie's powers work, showing how Andy's powers work as well, too. I love it. I love the fact that we get to see that clearly it's more of a strain on Andy, which might mean that their powers have a lot more to do with age than they think. But I thought there was so much to really enjoy about Andy and Charlie's journey. It just wasn't a particularly scary one. And as I've not read the story, I don't know if the actual book translates to be scarier than what the movie ended up being. But I myself didn't find myself fearful really at any point of this at all. Um, I do hope we have the remake coming out here in about three weeks, three or four weeks time at this point here with Zac Efron in it. I get the feeling they will be able to push the horror a little bit more in this one than they were in the remake. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if this concept really works well as a scary movie. It works great as sci-fi, action, suspense. But I don't know if horror is really, uh, really where we want to see this here. But who knows? Who knows? Tell me what you thought. If you read the story, I'm curious for you to tell me your opinion of the actual book itself as well, too. Let me know in the comment section about that, all right? Well, that is going to do it for me tonight, folks. Uh, we've had a chance to talk two good movies. Make sure you check both of those out. And I want to make sure that you are back next week where we're on our new week. We're going to be talking Master and Vicious Fun. So if you want to see some movies about serial killers and witches, this is the week to come back and check it all out, y'all. And again, please, please, please don't be afraid to check out my other links over here. See what we got going on in the Facebook group, including the ability to watch Stay Alive and Firestarter with us tonight in our Discord. So you want to find out how? Either go to the link there for the Discord or go to the Facebook page. We'll get you set up to join up with us there. But that's going to do it for me. Folks, I'm T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.